So we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians, going to start partway through chapter 1. Uh, so I'll read the passage that we have uh, arrived at this week. I'm actually going to read from verse 17 of chapter 1 through to the first few verses of chapter 2. So Paul writing, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. Excuse me a moment. <laughs> Does anybody have a favorite superhero answers out loud are allowed but Batman we go for Batman any advances no, no, the Hulk Captain America any Wonder Woman thank you yeah 
Flash, yeah, there's a few impersonations of Flash every Sunday. Uh, anybody else? Iron Man? Chris Chart. Chris Chart. Oh, he's my hero. <laughs> Go on, Josh, give us a shout out. You're going for Spider-Man, aren't you? Absolutely. Anybody else? I see that hand. Excellent. No one was expecting that. Okay. Maybe that gives you the opportunity to think too about what, what your favorite superpower might be uh, if you could adopt a particular uh, superpower. What might, what might that be? Answers aloud. Mind reading. Okay, not too worrying. <laughs> Lying. Flying. <laughs> okay. I can see the appeal of being able to fly. Absolutely. Invisibility, that's always a slight sad superpower, isn't it? Don't you think? Does anyone? Well, maybe you won't. You're not going to own up to it now, are you? Anyone want to be invisible? That's a bit bleak. Um, there are lots of stories, aren't there, that, that have that sense of just appeal to our imagination, I suppose, and about, uh, about what power is, what we could do with power. Interesting, no one's favorite superhero. I don't think anyone mentioned this one, Paddington Bear. Nobody, nobody mentioned Paddington Bear. He's, he influences a lot of people in a good way, doesn't he? There can be unusual stories of, uh, of, of power, but I suppose as well, our, our culture, the society that we live in, can be a bit power hungry, can be a bit power obsessed. Uh, we'll be aware of, of situations in a nation or in life or in, where we think, I think people are after power and it gets a bit, uh, a bit ugly. Uh, most nations, most governments, one way or another, are thinking about how they can increase their power, how they can increase their influence on the world stage. We want to be, you know, a nation wants to be able to, to protect its own interests. So they'll seek power. Maybe they'll seek power through alliances and trade deals and all sorts sometimes in outright conflict and warfare. Because in our human nature, we, we yearn for just that little bit more sometimes, just that little bit more power. We might seek power through money, we might seek power through relationships, we might seek power through all sorts of means. Uh, and, and God's people are not immune from seeking power or being perhaps corrupted by it sometimes. Uh, you could look at a couple of examples. Uh, with me, one in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles, chapter 26. We read about a king in Judah whose name was Uzziah. And he became king at the age of 16. And he made some, some wise choices. The nation seemed to prosper uh, under him. And he was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord for a while, for a, a reasonable amount of time. Uh, and reading from verse 15 in that chapter, this is 2 Chronicles 26, verse 15, it says, In Jerusalem he made engines. That's at a certain point where I think ESV seems a little bit odd. What, what would be an alternative? Oh, it's gone maybe. Okay, interesting creations. He made engines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners, to shoot arrows and great stones, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. God is in the business of marvelous help. 
And he, this guy becomes strong as ruler. But what happens next? But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Got a bit too big for his boots. He thought that he could do things that weren't appropriate for him. Sorry, excuse me again. He was marvelously helped. He became strong and powerful. Um, and his heart was, became a bit twisted. We could read other examples. We could take an example in the New Testament. Maybe this has a slightly better conclusion to it. Acts chapter 8. Uh, in part tells us an account of Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer. He has, uh, he has power, he has influence in his local community. He hears the message of Jesus and he uh, comes to faith. And yet then he sees the apostles come to town and he sees what happens when they laid their hands on others to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came. So he's seeing remarkable things. He's seeing supernatural power being shared, being spread upon people. Um, and he seeks it. Uh, it says uh, in verse 18, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He goes on to rebuke him in quite... Uh, strong terms, there's some indication that actually Simon may have responded well to that rebuke in actual fact. But there it is. He, he sees a, a demonstration of power and he kind of wants it uh, for him himself. And he uses what power he has, which at the moment is money. Maybe I can buy it for myself. Looking to gain, um, gain power. Unusual story of power, actually, thinking about it. I was watching one of the, uh, the Lord of the Rings films over the Easter, over, what am I talking about? Over the Christmas break. And uh, yeah, I think once upon a time I read the book as well. Um, uh, slight spoiler alert, but I'm only sticking to the early parts of the story. In the Lord of the Rings, if you know it, there is a, uh, it's a magic land really with lots of different amazing uh, people in it. Um, there's clearly good guys like elves um, and uh, a couple of dwarves. Uh, some people, they're a bit mixed bag actually, humans, uh, in, in the story, uh, and some lovely hobbits and a wizard. Uh, but there's a ring of power. This, this ring has been created with unimaginable power, and it's coming to the hands of a, of a little halfling or, or, or hobbit. And it's an unusual story because most adventure stories are about gaining power, aren't they? They're about aspiring to be more powerful and go and gain it. The, the whole point of the Lord of the Rings is there's a mission to go and get rid of the ring. It's almost it's too powerful and it corrupts people. And so this little fellowship gathers nine different characters, all with their special skills and their powerful abilities, gather together on this daring mission to go and take the ring and, dis- and have it destroyed. But then you see... In this fellowship, this grouping, they're all kind of on the same mission, but in different ways, they all kind of get tested. And they kind of want, they kind of want power. They promise, they, they, they say, well, we'll use it for good, but oh, it's, it's appealing, it's attractive, it's tempting, I want it. This desire for power. 
And so what happens to that little fellowship is the cracks show. Now, it works out well in the end. I'll leave it there. Um, but the cracks show in a fellowship that is seeking power in the wrong way. Does that remind you of any particular church you might see in the scripture? This, re- this letter is written to a, to a fellowship. It's written to a church. It's written to people who have, yeah, they're, they're, on, a, they're on the good side. They've, they've been brought into God's kingdom. And they don't lack any spiritual gift. There's lots of evidence, if you like, of power among them. And a demonstration of, of God's spirit at work. But Paul's writing to them because there's some cracks. There's some fractures. Paul, uh, Richard spoke about this last week. The, the schisms, the divisions, the rifts, the quarrels, the arguments, the power struggles. It's almost like the church could be arranged into different parties, all aspiring to a particular different leader. No, we think this guy's best. No, we think that guy's the best. Maybe like there's pride that is being stirred up. No, I'm, I'm associating with Paul. Someone else is associating with Peter. The kind of strange celebrity culture almost that's emerging. It's not Paul's desire or his doing, but a kind of worldly quality or a worldly characteristic that is running through the church, a church that is in danger of splintering apart because they don't understand the nature of God's power. They're still living by, by the world's way of doing life. That's affecting uh, how they live. So their, their culture is still more worldly than it is uh, godly. So Paul's concern here, uh, and I read verse 17 to get us going, was his concern was to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It was possible for this community to be living in such a way, doing church in such a way, as to empty the cross of the power that it has because they're not kind of submitting and, and, and haven't perhaps fully understood the nature of God's power. And we, we see actually God's tremendous power it works in remarkable ways. He can use any means to get our attention. He can speak in a dream, he can use a Facebook post, he can kind of turn the radio on and suddenly something grabs your attention. He, he can do small, kind of, he can kind of do wonderful things, he can do powerful things, but often, all the way through, the power of God, and maybe this is why it was getting to me as I was reading out the passage, and just in light of some of the beautiful things that have been shared this morning, it's the power of God on planet Earth that works through weakness. And sometimes we wish that it didn't. Maybe like the Corinthians, we can wish that it just looked and felt a bit more impressive to be a believer. Or that it looked and felt to the onlooking world like the church is the most amazingly powerful group of people ever. Now, the cross of Christ is the power of God that nothing else is. And if we're in his church, if we're believing in him, we are those who have received 
the power of God. There's nothing else like it to change lives. It's real power. It's real change. It's real blessing. It's real goodness. It's real grace. But it comes through weakness. We see that in this passage in three ways. God's power comes through a weak message because of the message of the cross sounds weak. And the power of God is demonstrated through weak people. A weak church, if you like. We'll get to that in a minute. And God demonstrates his power through weak messengers. And if we don't grasp that, and if we aren't living with that, Christians can become despondent or disappointed. And then what can happen is we want to add something in. We, we love Jesus, we love the cross, we're so blessed by all he's done for us, but he, what he, we need to give it like an extra boost. We need to help it out. Maybe that, that's why Paul is saying, like, I, I'm, I am not preaching with words of eloquent wisdom. There would be those in Corinth who say, well, Paul, it's wonderful what we've heard you say, but if only you would just kind of hold yourself in a slightly better, more impressive way. If only your, your words and your explanations, um, the language that you used, if only it was just that little bit more uh, impressive, then you could appeal to more people. and more pe- There wouldn't be as many people taking offense, basically, because the cross of Christ is offensive. So let's dare to draw near in this passage to the power of God shown through, firstly, a message that sounds weak. Paul is totally convinced that the word of cross, the word of the cross, the word about Jesus dying, being crucified, as Romans and Jews actually conspired together to try him and to execute him, he is totally convinced that the message of what God did for us in Christ on the cross is his power to change the world. It is his power to change people's lives. But it's, it, that message does divide. The word of the cross is folly. It's foolish to those who are perishing. Jesus says, I haven't come uh, to bring peace but division. From now on, some will, in other words, some, some will believe and some won't. There could be a division within a very household. There are, there are five people, but three believe and two don't. I, the, the, the message of Jesus brings a division because it brings a reaction because there'll be those who say, this is foolish. This is utter nonsense that somebody dying on a cross should be good news in any kind of way whatsoever. So for those who are perishing, it's foolish. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross of Christ brings division. What Paul is trying to address is those divisions should not be in the church amongst those who believe. But the divisions were starting to to emerge and perhaps those are trying to kind of uh, represent it in such a way that actually takes its power away. It's folly to those who are perishing. Later on, he'll, he'll say, 
in verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Uh, in both categories or both approaches, then the cross is something to stumble over. It's a stumbling block to Jews and it's folly to Gentiles. We may identify with the Jews who are demanding signs. Often this was the case in Jesus' day when he was, uh, he was walking. You think, how many miracles did he do? And yet people could still ask the question, show us a sign. If, if you are who you say you are, if we're to regard you as a Messiah, as a Savior, give us, show us proof. And really, what was the proof that they really desired in a small nation surrounded by more powerful nations with, with Rome, another nation in charge? The Romans have moved in. They have, they have occupied the nation so Jews were waiting for the Messiah to deal with this in some decisive and powerful way. They were seeking power. If only a Messiah would come, an impressive ruler, he'll restore the kingdom, he'll overthrow all the bad guys, because the problem is obvious. Why? Of course we need power, because we need to kick the Romans out. So the Jews demand signs. We Prove to us. Maybe they're thinking back to... <laughs> to Moses and all the, the different plagues that, that God sent at that time upon Egypt and then opened up the waters and they could pass through and all their enemies who chased after them, all the chariots and uh, uh, infantry, all the, all the men who were pursuing them as soldiers were just enveloped in the water as it washed back over. That's, the, that's what we like. That's the sign we want. All our enemies dealt with, every problem washed away. Now, we might not think in the same terms, obviously, but there can be sometimes ways in which we think, actually, oh, give me the evidence. Show me what your God can do. Demonstrate his power. Because I tell you, there are some really big and obvious problems right now, and let's just pick on one of them the environment, global warming. The future of the world. The temperature is rising. What are we going to do? If only there was someone who could save. If only there was someone with power to change the world. So who is this Jesus that you speak of? How can he, how can he bless the whole environment? How can he help us? Now, that's worth considering, isn't it? Worth looking at how our faith impacts how we live. But... The answer comes in a different place. The, uh, we want a sign over here. But God's solution was a man dying on a cross to set us free from sin and death so that we might be part of his kingdom to be established in a new heavens and a new earth. He has a plan for the world. He has a plan for the environment, but it's through Jesus dying and us coming into his family, being part of a, of a, a, of a heavenly community that will... Uh, on a planet that will never decay. He's got a plan. He's doing something about the world. It's just not the answer that maybe a lot of people might initially respond to. Well, how, how does that impact my car, you know, the carbon footprint in here and now? So looking for practical evidence, proof, a miracle, a sign or a wonder. Do something impressive and then I'll believe in you, Jesus. There are Jews demanding signs. There are Greeks Seeking wisdom, their, their culture was built on, on centuries of, 
of philosophy, of wise minds, people exploring what the mind was capable of, seeking wisdom. If there are others are seeking evidence and kind of practical examples of power, there are others who want reasons, want explanations. Yes, do something impressive, but say something impressive. And so hearing about a, a saviour who died on a cross just doesn't sound powerful. And it doesn't sound wise. It doesn't sound wise to allow oneself to be crucified. But to those who are called, the cross of the Lord Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. Because God has decided that the solution... And the route through for us to know God doesn't rely on us being more clever. Doesn't rely on us finding our way, impressing ourselves with, with our understanding. If you, if you really think about it, you, you can work it out and you can come to God on the basis of, of cleverness and wisdom that kind of resides in you. And that is, that's that's not the way through. Where is the wisdom of the world? According to the passage that's quoted there from Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Because it was wise of God, or maybe just quoting directly verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who Believe. God had decided the way to be saved would not rely on us being clever. It would rely on us believing a message that often sounds daft. A man died who is God. He died on a cross and he died for you. And he died so that you might know him by the removing of all of our sin and shame. We preach Christ crucified, the good news that is the power and the wisdom of God. It does come through a weak message. The power of God comes through a message that seems weak. God's power comes through weak people. Paul is inviting the Corinthians not just to remember and reflect on uh, the message of the cross, but on who they themselves are or were. It says, verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Note, it says, not many, not many of you were wise according to human standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. Implication in the worldly, just regular level, human level, there were a few people who were quite bright. There were a couple of people who were quite influential. There was one or two who might have had some nobility about them. 
But even those ones, they've had to humble themselves by now associating with Jesus and coming into this group of people. The church could have largely been made up of slaves. Remember what you were. The Gospels blessed them no end. But perhaps in some ways they've become a bit puffed up as though they have something to boast about. Somehow it's because of who we are. It's because what we can bring to the table that God chose us. It's because what we have to offer. Look, Look at what we've got. And then you start, you see that the, the, the quarreling and the arguing starts to develop around, this, uh, around a, a boastful church characteristic. Now, we're not being encouraged here to deny reality, as if those who are quite clever have to pretend they aren't. That those who have an influential occupation have to pretend that they, that they don't. That those who are rich have to just put on a pretense. This is not inviting us into some kind of uh, pretense, but uh, the gospel comes to us at the point we're prepared to realize there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can offer. There's nothing I contribute that kind of is assisting God in saving me. It's purely by his grace. It's purely his choice. And by the fact that he, he took the initiative. God's the one who called us. God's the one who reached into our lives. It's because of the work of God in our lives that we were called. It's because of the work of God in our lives that a penny dropped. We understood, we believed. It's because of his initiative. It was that he was seeking us. It was that he was coming for us. And now, Christ is, he's our everything. He's the one we boast in. He's our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He's, he's the one who is sanctifying us, rescuing and redeeming. He's everything we need. So a people of God believe, are believers in a message that sounds weak. And a people of God are those who boast. You might say, we're not, we're, not, we're not supposed to boast. Yeah, that no human being might boast in the presence of God. None of us are going to be stood in the presence of God with something to boast about. The gospel is just the great leveler. Arguments and divisions and friction and all sorts just lose their energy as soon as we consider him. We consider uh, the verse that Isabel kicked us off with at the beginning about the grace of God. It wasn't given to us as a reward because we'd earned it. Just totally, totally gracious of him. But as it is written in Jeremiah and here in verse 31, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Did you realize that's what we're doing when we gather together? We're going to have a time of worship, everyone. What if we just called it a time of boasting? (laughs) The band are going to lead us in a time of boasting. Don't take that the wrong way. Because we're here to glorify him. We're here, actually, I just commend Dave, because so many times when he prays, or he leads us out in prayer, not just in worship, you kind of hear the heart of a man who's still just blown away with the gospel, who is, I think, Dave, is what you do. You, you boast in the Lord. You, that sense of a believer just still going, my jaw has still dropped, my jaw is still on the floor. Isn't it amazing? 
Isn't he wonderful? This, our saviour who would be prepared to die, that we might be called. That we might come to him and have life eternal with him. Therefore, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what we're doing as we worship. We are boasting in Jesus. We are boasting in a saviour. We're boasting in a God who took all the initiative who worked out the one and only way in which we could be saved, which was his own son dying on a cross, that goes out to everyone. Is that how we think of worship? Worship is boasting about Jesus. Is that how we think about evangelism? About sharing our faith? If you come across, um, in conversation with friends, neighbours, whoever, maybe even today, people who are just so keen on their hobby or pastime, it's amazing. You can kind of like fill in the blank, but this is something they're just they're passionate about. And it doesn't take like more than a few moments for you to, to know this because they'll tell you. What do you do? Well, at the weekend we go orienteering. It's amazing. It's so good for you. It's so inclusive. Anyone can do it. Just come along. Just like boasting in the benefits of orienteering. I mean, it could honestly be and I don't mean to take the mickey. It's just all manner of different things. Knitting, it's just so good. Running, it's just so good. Chess, it's just so good. Just Anyone can do it. You don't need much. You can join in here. There's some really welcoming people. Because when you first go through the door of the chess club, I kind of know some of the rules, but what, what am I supposed to do here? Turn up to the orienteering group. You think, thinking, am I wearing the right stuff? What do I do? It's okay, there'll be people there who are going to just love you and help you and show you, I haven't got a Scooby. Maybe I should go and start orienteering. Anyway, that's a distracting thought for now. Just, have, you, have you come across just that exuberant, simple, unapologetic keenness about something? But it's, it's just a hobby or a pastime. And maybe it'll be something different in the future. Do we we think of our evangelism and sharing of our faith as boasting in Jesus? And maybe you think, well, that sounds easy for some, and I know the type, they're all those gregarious extroverts. There's a a few in every crowd whose heart is always on their sleeve, and it's easy for them. It's easy for them to enthuse. It's easy for that person to do what they're doing. They're so gifted, and la, 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 la. And because we're not then focused on Jesus and all he's done for us and how everything good comes from him and how he's drawn us together and he's our everything. Oh, those little fractions, those, those divisions, those worries, those anxieties can, can emerge. Oh. Well, well, notice this. Notice that Paul doesn't keep himself in a separate category. He doesn't say, remember what some of you were you, when you were called, most of you anyway. Not much going on there. Not very impressive. Not very influential. Like he's prepared to talk about himself in the same way. God's power is at work in a message that sounds weak. God's power is at work in a people who look weak. And God's power is at work in a messenger who describes himself in these ways. I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ, uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness. 
Hallelujah. It was, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. It's like an apostolic overshare. Paul, what, you know, I suppose in a way that it was obvious to them. They were there. They would have seen it. They would have heard. It would have been apparent that he was with them in weakness and in fear and in uh, and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He's not saying, oh, some of you, most of you weren't that impressive, but obviously you learned from the best. He said, when I was with you, I trembled, and I was scared, and I wanted to run away. But the... We could see elsewhere. The Lord came to me in a dream and said, it's okay, don't be afraid. He's that guy. He's that guy who could have just run away frightened. But he kind of heard that baseline that we heard earlier on. He said, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to keep speaking. And when he speaks, what happens? He can see the division starting to happen. He can see over there. I can see people are believing. People are responding. You can see over there, those people want to get me. It's okay, no one's going to harm you, Paul. There still is a bit of a riot in town. It's threatening, it's not straightforward, it's not easy. But he keeps going, convinced of the power of God in Christ crucified. He doesn't need to add something. He's not looking for another message. This is the message. He's not looking for something else that will change their lives. This is the message that will change their lives. He was there in weakness, fear, and trembling, and a demonstration of the Spirit's power. What do you make of that? We know that Paul, as an apostle, had a bit of a miraculous track record Things that had happened, Eutychus fell out of the window, died, he went down, Eutychus was raised back to life. On many occasions of, 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 of demonstrations of the Spirit's power like that. Is that what he's referencing here? It would be a slight strange reference if he was saying, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but then I came to town with an amazing demonstration of miraculous power. I'm not saying there weren't miracles, but is that what he's drawing attention to? I wonder if it's a little bit like this. There's a scene, and we'll finish in a bit. There's a scene in the story, The Lion King. I don't know if you are familiar with that story. Family of lions, and at the beginning of the film, uh, uh, kind of the, the new heir, Simba, this little cub, little baby lion is born. He will one day be the next king. For now, his father, this awesome, massive, mighty lion, is king. What's his name again? Mufasa, thank you. Thank you. Um, Mufasa is powerful. Mufasa, no one messes with Mufasa. He is huge, he is strong, and when he roars, like everything hears, every, everyone cowers before Mufasa. And one day, Simba will kind of, he'll follow in his steps, but he's just a little cub. And he goes, on an, he goes on a slightly foolish mission, to be honest. He wanders off. He has his own little adventure. He ignores some of the advice his father's given him. Uh, I'm telling the whole story. That's not the point of the illustration. But he finds himself surrounded by hyenas. Creatures that want to get him. 
One day, it wouldn't be difficult for him to get them, but he's small. He's little. He doesn't have this mighty roar. He's not rippled with muscles. He's not massively tall. He's the one who's cowering. And they're surrounding. And he's thinking, what am I going to do? What he does is he attempts to roar. Maybe he's just signaling for help. But he's, he's going to use his voice. So he roars. And something has happened at exactly the same moment. The little Simba decides to open up his vocal cords. What's his name again? Mufasa. Mufasa. <laughs> Wise, powerful, sovereign Mufasa has just appeared behind Simba. And as Simba goes, meow, Mufasa roars. The hyenas scatter. When we choose to speak up in the name of Jesus, and we feel like, get get it right, right around again, and we feel like Simba, sharing our faith, boasting in Jesus. And maybe we're even thinking, I've made some daft choices, but I still, I still love Jesus. I love God. I'm going to speak up for him. In my classroom, I'm going to allow my faith to be apparent in the workplace. I'm going to own the name of Jesus with my family. I'm going to boast about him. It's wonderful, you know. He's so inclusive. Everyone is welcome before this king. You can know him. Your life could be rearranged and turned upside down and made whole and complete in him. It's just good news, I tell you. When you choose to do that, feeling like Simba, demonstration of the Spirit's power is what God is achieving at his point. When we speak the word of God, and it kind of tumbles out of our mouth like a little faint meow, if we've understood how the power of God works, and how he's chosen to operate, we'll have faith for the Spirit of God to demonstrate his power by bringing conviction, by bringing faith, as people believe in our wonderful Saviour. That's what the church needs to be reminded of. A wonderful message, even though it sounds weak. A wonderful people amongst whom God has done all sorts of amazing things. We're still broken. We're still jars of clay with our own cracks and our own challenges. God is making us new. God uses broken people, doesn't he? And sometimes he calls broken people to do things that just frankly seem a bit weak and daft, but he promises to work powerfully through it. Do you believe in the power of God manifest through the message of the cross and the church that he loves? If you do, God will lead us in remarkable ways. And as we fix our eyes on that, Whatever it was that once bothered us, 
the quarrels and the difficulties and the differences and the arguments and the quarreling and the things we're not sure of. And don't they just lose their power? Don't they just lose... We just kind of like lose focus on that. Because I've just seen, I've just remembered a saviour who's awesome. A message that's true. A church that we're being knitted into. And the power of God that is that can be demonstrated in a weak, trembling, scared person. Let's believe for the power of God to be made manifest. We don't have to try to to become powerful, try to, to put on an air of wisdom. We believe in Jesus. That's power enough to change the world. Amen?